Last summer I saw a friend who I hadn't seen in eight or nine years. Uh, he was here one Lord's Day. It wasn't that we had been avoiding each other, it's just that he lives in South Africa. In a couple of weeks, God willing, I'll be seeing another friend who I haven't seen for eight years. Uh, again, we haven't been avoiding each other. He lives in Sri Lanka. Uh, and there is just something uh, special about seeing someone's face for the first time in a long time. Uh, particularly if we had once known them well and seen them often. Uh, but there has been a long separation. Uh, most of us probably experienced that in some way during lockdown. And of course, the the more the person means to you, the keener that you are to see their face again. Uh, When we were engaged, Carla spent the summer before we got married in America. And uh, those those, uh, eight or ten weeks or or however felt felt longer than than the eight years of not seeing some of these other guys. But there is no face that the Christian longs to see more than the face of Jesus. And that's where we're going to start this morning with the hope of seeing God. That's our first point, the hope of seeing God. Just over a week ago, the American Presbyterian pastor and author Tim Keller passed away three years after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. His son said that three nights before his death, Keller prayed and said, I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. And that sums up the Christian hope. We want to see Jesus. We want to see the most beautiful face in the universe, as Keller himself once put it. And as time goes on, that longing grows. And so what we have promised to us in this sixth beatitude is no small thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that has always been the hope of the believer. In the the Old Testament as well as the New Psalm 17 verse 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Job had the confidence to say, After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter about love. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The last chapter of the Bible, speaking about heaven, says they will see his face. That is our ultimate destiny. And is that not enough for us? We will see his face and when that does happen we'll actually be seeing a face that human beings once knew well and not just during Jesus three years on earth in his public ministry in Genesis chapter 3 we get a little glimpse into what life was like before the fall where we're told about the Lord God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve 
And if God is a spirit and doesn't have a body, how could they walk with him in the garden unless it was Jesus? In the first of many times in the Old Testament when he appeared to people in human form. Speaking about Old Testament times, one of the Puritans says of Jesus, Before his incarnation he took pleasure to come and appear in the fashion of a man and converse with his people in human shape. Boys and girls, in the Garden of Eden, people could see Jesus and speak to Jesus and just enjoy being with Jesus. But our sins separated us from God. But because Jesus came and died, if our trust is in him, we can look forward to being in heaven, where once again we will see Jesus and speak to Jesus and just enjoy being with Jesus. So we have a glorious hope. We have a glorious hope. And we need to be careful not to lose our grip on it. Someone has said that in the 20th century, the doctrine of the end times became front and centre in the church. A real interest arose among Christians about the end of the world and what that would look like. But for many, it almost squeezed out this hope of seeing Jesus. They became more interested in questions like, well, what will the mark of the beast look like? And, And things like that. It's as if someone was getting married, but in the build-up to the wedding, they were thinking so much about the details of the ceremony that they forgot about the person they were actually getting married to. Someone who beautifully reminds us of the perspective we should have is Samuel Rutherford. He was a covenanter minister not far away from here in Anwath. And he put it like this, The bride... Eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And so our great hope as Christians is that one day we will see God. Our wedding day is coming. But is this hope of seeing God just something for the future? To go back to the wedding illustration, are we getting married to someone who we've never seen before? Will we be meeting this glorious bridegroom for the first time on the wedding day? Not at all. We're hearing increasingly today about people leaving the faith. But what is it that helps the true Christian keep going? What is it that has helped believers in the past keep going? But do you remember what the book of Hebrews tells us about Moses? It says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's what helps keep us going as Christians. By faith, we see him who is invisible. We see him in his word. We see him in his worship. We also see him in his people, don't we? Think of the younger of the two Margarets, 
uh, and what she said about the older one as she was forced to watch uh, her, her fellow sister in Christ drown in the Solway Firth at Wigton. She said, I see Christ wrestling there. We see Jesus today. We see him in his word. We see him in his worship and we see him in his people as his image is formed more and more in them. Seeing Jesus, it's not just for the future. Even now, in the words of 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. And we do that through his word. As the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus in it, here we live by faith, there we will live by sight. Here we see Jesus by faith, there we will see him face to face. But if you don't see him by faith now, you won't see him by sight then. On the day of judgment, Jesus will say to many, I never knew you. John Owen says, No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight hereafter, who does not in some measure behold it by faith here in this world. In other words, if we want to see Jesus by sight later in heaven, we need to see him by faith now. If religion for you is just a, a ritual you take part in, if you know nothing of the glory of Jesus, if you can read the Bible or hear it preached and it means very little to you, if Jesus for you is someone who lived in the past, not someone that you know today, then the idea that you would still somehow be in heaven one day is as likely as it would be for, for a gate crasher to turn up at the wedding who, who no one knows and be invited to sit at the top table. It's not going to happen. You have no place in heaven unless you repent and believe and receive the wedding garment that he offers. The hope of the Christian is to see God. As Job goes on to say, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. But if we want to see him by sight, then we need to see him by faith now. We need to see him in his word, in his worship. If that sounds completely foreign to you, Pray that God would reveal Jesus to you now, that you might see him by faith. Pray that he would open your eyes. The hope of seeing God. This is front and centre of everything we wish for as believers. Don't let other things crowd it out. And it's not like a hope you might have of one day, one day, bumping into your hero uh, someone who doesn't know you from Adam uh, but but they're your hero and you think well it would be great to meet them one day but but they don't have a clue who you are but but it's more like the the confident expectation you would have if if you'd somehow get introduced to that hero online and you've been emailing back and forth you you've spoken to them on the phone 
you've arranged to go and meet up and when you do finally meet them they won't be a stranger to you and you won't be a stranger to them because you've already talked to them in other ways before you saw them face to face and it needs to be the same for us that we would know Jesus in other ways by faith before we see him face to face I'm sure there are people that we admire, people we look up to, people we'd, we'd love to meet. But that would be nothing compared to seeing Jesus. So firstly this morning, the hope of seeing God. Secondly, the thing that can stop us from seeing God. The thing that can stop us from seeing God... I phrase this second heading negatively so that we might see what is at stake in this beatitude. Because if it is true that the pure in heart will see God, the opposite is also true. The impure in heart will not see God. And that is true in two main ways. The unbeliever, the one whose heart has not been purified by the Holy Spirit, will not see God, neither in heaven or in this life. And yet even as believers, impure hearts can stop us from seeing God here and now. They can stop us seeing God in his word, in his worship and in his people. And that is disastrous because seeing him is our greatest good and so surely a, a vital question to ask is what is a pure heart and what is an impure heart well the first thing that we need to see is is obvious but it's worth saying and that is that Jesus is speaking here about what is on the inside blessed are the pure in heart Boys and girls, is your heart on the inside of your body or on the outside? When it's in the inside, isn't it? None of us can see other people's hearts because they're inside of us, but, but God can. And by the heart, the, the Bible means all that we, all that we think and, and want. So we're not talking here about how good people may look on the outside. If a boat has a hole underneath it, it doesn't matter whether that boat is carrying gold or whether it's loaded up with rubbish, it will still sink. Someone once said that morality can damn you just as much as vice. And the, the constant danger for religious people as people would describe us is that we start to trust in the outward things that we do and yet a, a good respectable church going life will send someone to hell just as easily as a life of drug addiction will unless they repent if you're not born again, then it doesn't matter how much it looks on the outside, like everything is good, like you have it all together. You need a clean heart. And ultimately, that's something that only God can give you. 
Proverbs 20 verse 9 asks, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. And when that question is asked in Proverbs, it's not expecting anyone to say, Well, I can, I've made my heart pure. I'm clean from all my sin. It's a question that, that expects the answer to be no one. No matter how much we scrub, we can never make our hearts clean. There's a lot of things that if you spill them on a carpet, you can clean the carpet. But on the other hand, there are things like blood that no amount of scrubbing will remove. And you're going to need a new carpet. Will our hearts have stains that can only be removed by us being given new hearts? There are also some stains that you, the more you try and clean them, the worse that you make them. And again, the more we try and clean up our hearts by our own good works, the worse that we make them. And so we need the old replaced by the new. What does David pray after his sin with Bathsheba? He prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Ultimately, only God can give us a pure heart. Only he can create that inside us. And yet it is also true that we are called to purify our hearts. Jesus' beloved disciple says in 1 John 3.3 that we are to purify ourselves as Jesus is pure. And that is a really important verse because just like in this beatitude, John connects the need for pure hearts with the fact that one day we'll see Jesus. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So he says, one day we'll be like him, because we'll see him as he is. And then he adds, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. (coughs) The wedding day is coming when we will see our bridegroom face to face and we are to be preparing now for our wedding day. We think it the most natural thing in the world for a bride to prepare for her wedding day. And as Christians, will we not make it our great business to prepare ourselves for our wedding day? Will a a bride preparing for her uh, wedding here on earth put us to shame as Christians because we are not preparing for our wedding day? What does this uh, purifying look like? Someone might ask, well, is it our work? Is it God's work? It's both. Someone else might ask, well, what does God use to purify us? Well, he uses the word. He uses the word to wash us. The Apostle Paul uses the wedding imagery we've been using in Ephesians 5, where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. 
And the word cleanse there is the same as the word pure in the beatitude. Just before he went to the cross, the Lord Jesus prayed and he asked his Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your heart won't become more pure without the Bible. And the person who isn't being made more fit for heaven won't be there. It's not that our purifying our hearts is the basis of us getting into heaven. As if it were about us purifying ourselves enough that God might let us in. Not at all. In the same way, a bride doesn't start getting ready for a wedding in the hope that she'll convince someone to marry her when the day comes. But rather someone has chosen her and loved her and she has chosen him and loved him. Someone has asked her to marry him and she said yes. The wedding isn't in doubt. But she doesn't say, ah well, he's, he said he'll marry me so he can't get out of it now. But rather because the wedding isn't in any doubt, she gets ready for it. The certainty of its coming adds to the urgency of the need to prepare. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And if we don't, then it shows that we're not really his. If we don't get into heaven, it won't be because we haven't purified ourselves enough. It will be because we are not his. And if we are his, we will show that in purifying ourselves as we await our great wedding day. So the, the hope of seeing God, uh, the thing that can stop us from seeing God. Thirdly and finally, what a pure heart looks like. Or to tie it in more with the other headings, maybe uh, we could say the pure heart we need to see God. The, the hope of seeing God, the thing that can stop us seeing God. Uh, the pure heart we need to see God. But, but basically, what does a pure heart look like? We've talked about the, the danger of having an impure heart and the need to purify our hearts. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about a pure heart? There are a couple of meanings that the Bible uses. There's one that we probably don't think of. Uh, Jesus' brother James says in his letter, Purify your hearts, you double-minded what does it mean to be double-minded? It means not to be fully committed. It means to be pulling in two different directions. That seems to be what Paul is talking about when he writes to Timothy. That the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A pure heart is linked to a sincere faith. A faith that is not false or mixed. Peter writes along similar lines when he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, sincerity and purity are closely linked. We talk about pure gold. That means gold that isn't mixed with anything else. A gold ring could fall into the muck and it would still be pure gold. 
<coughs> so a pure heart in that sense is an undivided heart, devoted purely to God, sincerely loving God and loving his people. But a pure heart in the Bible does also mean a clean heart, which is probably what we normally think of when, when we think of the pure in heart. We've already thought about that rhetorical question in Proverbs. Who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. So a pure heart is a heart that is cleaned or being cleaned from sin. And particularly there is a big connection in the Bible between impurity and sexual immorality. It's, it's broader than that, but the two are, are closely connected. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, I fear that when I come again I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality they have practiced. <coughs> he writes similar things to the Thessalonians and the Romans. One commentator says that in Romans, impurity denotes sexual immorality as it does mostly elsewhere in Paul's letters. We live in a world where sexual talk and imagery are all around us, even if we don't go looking for them. But what is our calling as Christians? Colossians 3, 5, put to death what is earthly in you impurity, sexual immorality, passion, evil desire and so on. (coughs) Put to death is strong language but later on in our chapter Jesus will say those words we read earlier speaking about lust. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Because what is at stake? He says it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. (coughs) What would putting to death and tearing out look like in your life? Would it mean realising there are certain things that you just cannot watch because of the images or innuendo? Paul tells the Ephesians that sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. <coughs> Are there certain books and articles that you just can't click on? Would putting to death and tearing out involve putting accountability software on your computer or sharing your struggles with someone so they can hold you accountable? Beware of saying it's okay, God will forgive me. Because that's not what Jesus says. He says it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. You can have no assurance that you are a genuine Christian if you routinely feed your heart with impurity. And even if you are a true Christian, do you realise what's at stake? Do you realise what feeding impurity rather than putting it to death will do? It will hamstring your Christian life because it will stop you seeing Jesus. There are images that you can look at that will stop you seeing Jesus. 
You can fill your heart with things that will make it impossible to have fellowship with him. A pure heart is a heart that's cleansed of everything offensive to a holy God. We've been having problems with our boiler since November with the hot water randomly going off when you're in the shower or running the bath. Uh, There was a while where it looked like it was fixed. Uh, The plumber replaced a part. It looked like it was sorted, but then it started happening again. It's been looking over the last week or so that it might finally be fixed, but we'll see. So what was causing it? Well, the problem seemed to have been that whenever the current boiler was put in, uh, which is before our time, it was put on an old system. And over time, lots of gunk from the old system made it into the boiler. And so what the plumber did the last time was to strip it out and take out as much gunk as he could get. And it seems to have worked, or at least to have helped. And that gunk, that that impurity in the system, it could be a picture of us as Christians. If we are content to live with impure hearts, it will stop us firing in all cylinders. It will stop us burning hot for Jesus. It will leave us as unreliable with others knowing they can't count on us. And a few surface level changes aren't going to work. (coughs) Rather... We need to see the ugliness inside us for what it is and seek by God's help to remove it. But as we close this morning, we've asked the question, what does a pure heart look like? Ultimately, the answer is that it doesn't look like any of our hearts. We began the day with Psalm 24, which asks the question, who will make it into God's presence? The answer given, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And that's not any of us. The book of Revelation says about heaven, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Who of us doesn't have impurity of heart to confess? But on the cross, Jesus took in himself all our impurities, that his pure heart might be counted as ours. And as a result... As the last chapter of the Bible puts it, a day is coming when his servants will see his face. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. We sing of that great hope now from Psalm 17. Psalm 17, the last four verses on page 25. (coughs) There are only two groups of people in the world. Verses 10 to 12 describe the unbeliever. They have no treasure beyond this world. But how different the believer in verse 13. The one whose greatest hope and longing lies beyond this world. The old believer is frustrated because they put all their hope in this world and they can't live up to it. They don't realise that they were made for another world. But one day they, they too can go to that new world. If only 
they will put their trust in Jesus before it's too late. And if they do, then their great hope in ours will be verse 13. But as for me in righteousness, I your own face will see. And with your likeness, when I wake, I satisfied will be. Verses 10 to the end, we'll stand to sing praise. <laughs>